Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Would you pray with me? What a glorious gift it is, Father, to be able to take this time now and seek your face. Expect you to speak in your word. And I love you, God, and I thank you so much for what it is you are going to do in this time. So, Lord, redeem every second in these next 45 minutes or so, Lord. Let it be profound time. Prepare us for the table of communion, Lord, as we prepare our hearts, Lord, to go before you and declare your death and resurrection. Lay me your word, Lord, burst open and come alive. May it be profoundly resilient and brilliant before us. So, Lord, immerse me in your Holy Spirit and come upon me that you would do through me what I cannot humanly do. Speak now, Lord, to each of us. Word into our life. Bespoke to us individually and corporately as well. So, Lord, we commit this time to you. And pray now, Lord, you would do something beautiful and rich as we commit this to you. Lord, have your way. In Jesus' name. Amen. I would say today, as I would any, please don't just believe me, don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always be your authority. No man with a mic has authority over God's word, but God's word is authority over every man, mic or not. Well, this is where we are now. Jesus has risen from the dead. His ministry to his people. And here we now start with this verse where it says, Then the eleven disciples. And I'm going to go slow because obviously we only have a few verses to go through, and yet, with each sort of nibble that's its own meal. And I can't open think about what this would be like to start with this because we went down as twelve, as the twelve, with Judas included. And in Jerusalem is a place we visit. Well, we visit for the feast, the three times every year, for Passover, Pesach, for Shavuot, and Sukkot. We would go to these, they were sort of required of us, and we would go down there. Then we would do that with Jesus, because Jesus was an observant Jew. He did what was expected of him. He wasn't going to break the law. And, and somewhere in all of that, we, we stood beside this guy. There were 12 of us. We were the kind of the 12. And there we were. We ministered. We, we, we watched Jesus heal people through us. We preached that Jesus was coming. We watched people being healed. We watched spirits, evil, demons fleeing from people. And we were jazzed about all of that. And Jesus said, hey, 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 stop it. Stop jonesing. Loose paraphrase. Stop jonesing over the fact that demons are freaking out over you. Glory rather that your name is written in heaven. And I remember looking at them, looking around and seeing these people around me. And we went down to the Passover like we went down to the Passover every time for the last few years. But this time we're coming back very different. And, and it's weird to think. Now, as I look at that, I think it would be so weird to go back without Judas. But it's one thing, by the way, to, to go back without Judas. It's another thing entirely to go back with the memory of who Judas really became. At least what became clear to us that Judas was. And that's a really weird place to start on I pull myself into this text for a moment, and I realize Jesus had promised us back in Matthew 19, verse 28, 
that the 12 would sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And now I must start to think, well, who's the 12? Would it be Judas? Judas hung himself. Judas is dead now. Is that what we're looking at? And then I get to Revelation 21. He speaks, by the way, of the 12 gates being the names of the 12 tribes. And then he tells us that it had 12 foundations in 21.14. And those, 21, or those 12 foundations were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And I start to wonder who that 12th is. Is it going to be the, the person that Peter will seek to have replaced in Acts 1, a guy named Matthias? Or will it be Paul? Will it be Barnabas? Because Barnabas is called an apostle. It's weird because we really don't know. But at this moment, we are going back. Now, it's interesting because it tells us here that they were still called disciples. And it's important to note that a disciple simply means students. And I understand just as Jesus resurrected doesn't mean schools out. We will be students for the rest of our lives. And there's something I have to learn from this before I even take a step into the next portion of this. What do I learn about what it's like to come back as 11? Well, if you've ever been Judas before, you've served alongside someone, and you watch God do really cool things with them or through them, around them, and then you blink and they, they turn out to be somebody so different. Well, I could be now forever gun-shy, afraid of who will be the next Judas, and that would be disabling, let's be honest, disabilitating, and it would be dishonoring to God, but it is the most human thing to do. In a moment like this, we get in protection mode because we don't like to be hurt and we would feel stupid to be hurt twice, especially over the same circumstance. So we can dwell in a state of constant, protected survival, and I'll never thrive in that condition. And Jesus promised me abundant life, everlasting abundant life, and that there's no way survival could ever be everlasting life. So Jesus doesn't allow me, for whatever it's worth, to build a house or even a monument at that spot, I have to move forward. But forward, interestingly enough, is actually going back to the beginning. According to this text, it tells us, by the way, that they went to Galilee, by the way, on the command of the Lord. We'll talk about that in a second. Because somewhere at the beginning of all of this, it was just me and Jesus. It wasn't me in a politic. It wasn't me in a movement. It wasn't me and my crew. It was just me and Jesus. The ministry was just getting people to him. Every person, me, you, not just the needy people that stood before us, but we all needed Jesus. And we'd lay our hands on sick and they'd get well, we'd cast out demons and they'd flee, but at night we'd still sit down and get humbled by Jesus' next parable because we just didn't get it. And somewhere down the line we were reminded, it didn't matter how amazing God worked through you, Who's going to be a student of Christ on this earth? And somewhere in all of that, Jesus has a mountain appointed for us. And it's back in Galilee. And I realize in that, that if every person really, really needs Jesus, and He alone is the answer, He's the one who's never changed. He's never failed me. He's always won. And now He's calling me to rise above all of that. He's calling me to rise above the raging seas of the natural, the humanness of myself and others. And, and now at this moment, now we as students head back and it tells us that these 11 disciples went back into Galilee. Now it's important to note, by the way, that Jesus had already told us in Matthew 26, 32. He said that the way that he would die, resurrect, and that they would need to meet him in Galilee after that. So, in chapters 27 and 28, Jesus dies, resurrects, 
And then the angels tell the girls, go tell the guys to go meet him in Galilee, like you promised. As the women are going, Jesus meets them and says, oh, by the way, I'm alive, and clearly as I'm alive, you need to go tell them to go meet me in Galilee. They'll meet me there. Then there are two guys walking on the way to Emmaus, Luke 24 makes that clear. Jesus meets them. And they run back to tell the guys Jesus is alive as well. But nobody seems to believe them among the, of the eleven. In John 20, all of these are counter-texts the same events. Same day. Jesus shows up. And when he shows up, they're in Jerusalem. It's that same day, that's what it tells us. So this is all on a Sunday, if you will. A Sunday like this. And he reveals himself alive, but unfortunately, Thomas isn't there. Eight days later, do the math, that's a Monday after next Sunday. Jesus shows up, again, in Jerusalem. Interesting, he shows up, says, I'm alive, now let's go to Galilee. Eight days later, they're still in Jerusalem, and this time Thomas is with him. He's like, hey, Thomas, I'm alive. Now, can we go to Galilee? So finally, they go to Galilee. In John 21, the disciples finally decide to go back to Galilee, and they fish all night and caught nothing. And if that's the case, somewhere during that breakfast time, Jesus tells them to cast their nets on the other side, on the right side. They do. There's a catch of fish, or 56, so many that they... All of these guys are having a hard time dragging them in until Peter, Captain Testosterone, grabs this thing and pulls it by himself. And Jesus has practice with him. And somewhere in all of that, Jesus is going to appear again. In Acts 1 3, it tells us, by the way, that Jesus had spent on and off 40 days with these guys from Passover. It's 50 days to Pentecost, so 40 of those 50 days were spent with Jesus just appearing various times. Now it did tell me that when Jesus appeared at the seashore when the men had fished and caught nothing in Galilee, it was the third time that he revealed himself to them. So I kind of get that. But now it tells us that these men had finally gone to Galilee. They finally did what Jesus had told them to. These eleven. And it tells us they went to the mountain Jesus had appointed to them. Notice it doesn't say a mountain, but the mountain. Now, it's important to note, that's called a definite article, and I'll get a little, kind of, a little grammatical, only because it really does help with our text. And to be honest, it's what blew it up for me. But I realize that this, for, for this, what the Greek word for appointed is the word tasso, and tasso means to arrange or assign or depose. In other words, it's sort of a designated thing. God had a designated mountain, and this is this kind of a radical thought. Because I'm going to look at it from two different places. One is, well, that means because I'm reading the Gospel of Matthew, I'm finishing and I'm assuming that that mountain somewhere, because it's the mountain, it was a mountain that they had been to prior. So then I start going backwards of all the mountains Jesus had been at with his disciples. There had only been four. Well, the first, of course, if we're going backwards, the, the last, the one closest to where they were at this point was when Jesus had died on Golgotha, the full of the skull. Well, that's not in Galilee. The next one was just, if you will, 2000 stadia, just a Sabbath day's walk on the top of the Mount of Olives where Jesus had taught the end times sermon and where he had descended on what we call Palm Sunday. We'll celebrate that next week for what it's worth. It'll also be, interestingly enough, the place where Jesus will ascend to the Father in heaven. But that's not also not in Galilee. We go back even farther. The next one then is an exceedingly high mountain. And that's the one where Jesus is transfigured, also arguably not in Galilee. Which takes us to the very first one Jesus had ever had with them. And that's where everything changes from. 
See, the first one was all the way back in Matthew 5. See, in Matthew 4, Jesus had called four fishermen. They, were, they had done fishing for the day, and he looked at them and said, come and follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men now. It's time for you guys. You know what to do. You throw your net as low as you possibly can, and then drag up everything. And then we drag it all in the boat, and we sort through it. The good fish, we keep the other ones, we throw back in for some other poor fishermen to get. Now, so we you know that, that's what the fishermen knew. They knew what the smell of fish was. They knew how to keep their hands callous from pulling those ropes. That's what they knew. And then the next thing we meet after Jesus calls them is, and they brought to him. I can't help but think that the they was the disciples. And they brought to him all those who were diseased, all those who were possessed, who were powerless and paralyzed. And they brought them to Jesus, and he healed them. And then Jesus stood on a tall mountain, or he stood on a mount, he brought them up to a hill, and he stood there and he said, Bless. And he began what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And what would they be like? Because somewhere over the last three years, we've gotten caught in politics and in the practices and, if you will, the protocol of being a Christian and walking with Jesus. And now everything's very different. Because now all of a sudden, it's not just about this is what we do. It's about who we know. And Jesus just keeps showing up. And he's sort of giving us, helping us to practice living life anticipation of his manifestations, if you will. Living life, you just never know when Jesus is just going to show up again. And that's kind of an exciting way to live. A way, by the way, that the church often forgets about because we stop living about the relationship and we start living more back in the regalia of just ordinary life. It's our routine now. But I would be, I can tell you, walking on that same mount numerous times. And I can picture it, and I hadn't been there when Jesus had done this. The piles of chains that will never be needed anymore from the, from the, the possessed people. The piles of crutches and cots that will never be needed because the paralyzed are no longer paralyzed. I mean, what would that look like for us today as well? The piles of needles and pornography. The piles of the bottles of alcohol that nobody needs to rest on anymore because they've been completely delivered. And that was a pretty radical spot for us. And we as ministers, fishing, and all we knew was throw the net down low. We didn't, we didn't fly fish. We didn't skim at the top. We just threw the net down as low as we could and we let everything swim in and then we just pulled it in. We let our great fisherman handle it. He's a good fisherman. He didn't ask the fish to be cleaned before they were brought to him. He just catch the fish and he pulled them in. And that's what they did. They threw the net low and they pulled in people. And our idea was, I can just get you to Jesus. He can fix you. I don't have to know your problem. I don't have to be an expert in whatever it is you're experiencing. I'm sure it's a struggle. I'm, sh- I'm not trying in any ways to sort of diminuinize the fact that life can be rough. But I don't have to be an expert in your issue to know who can still solve it. And back then it really was simple because all we really knew was get him to Jesus and he could fix it. That's all we knew. So what would it be like for us when Jesus goes, go to Galilee, go to Galilee, go to Galilee. We finally go to Galilee and it's like, okay, we're going to this mountain. And we go to this mountain and before all of this, we just kind of look. And our mind's eye remembers these moments and the crowd that was there. The crowd, because the last crowd we saw was crying out, crucify him. And you can imagine how easy it would be to hate people when that's what you saw. But at this moment, I looked and went, wow, back at this moment, it was all hope. It wasn't hurt. It wasn't being defied. It wasn't about being betrayed. It's just about Jesus, and that's all that really mattered. 
And we went up there, and somewhere down in this and we saw Jesus there. I know, it means to sort of essence perceive him. And it's important to recognize, it says that on the mount which he appointed to him, and it says that when they saw him, they did two different things. They said they worshipped him, but some doubted. And that would seem strange, wouldn't it, after Jesus has revealed himself now, at least thrice, except this, we want so desperately for Jesus to show up at any given moment. Anything you would go with that. I mean, let's face it, in the beginning, that's sort of like, is that Jesus? Could that be Jesus? The wind's blowing. Could that be Jesus showing up? You know, it's like a car horn goes off, or an alarm goes off. Oh, that, maybe that's Jesus. You know, and it's like, that's how we live. And I remember what it was like when I first gave my life to the Lord, and then I started reading Revelation about the Lord's return. And man, I was ready. We used to just jump when we called it rapture practice, because we wanted to get a jump on the next person. And I figured if I just jumped and then the Lord came back, I was ahead of you in the line, in the queue. And so, somewhere I was just excited, and I'm like, oh, could that be it? And then the next crazy thing would happen, and then there was this, you know, war, rumor of war, and this rumor of war, and, you know, this epidemic, and this, I mean, yeah, I've been a Christian long enough. I remember when AIDS first hit the, sort of, the, the headlines, and my wife and I would look, and we're like, well, that looks kind of like a worldwide epidemic. And we're like, oh, Lord, is it now? Is it now? But somewhere down the line, you get... You stop jumping. Somewhere on the line, you stop getting as excited. And then Jesus does show up. You don't even, you're not really even sure if it's him anymore. Something beautiful and amazing has happened. And notice, by the way, Jesus isn't going to leave him there in this state. But the term for doubting is the word distazzo. Try that word, distazzo. Good, that's the other one. Distazzo means to duplicate. An interesting word for this. The word for doubt in its simplest sense is to take something that should be a simple one thing and make it two different things. And that's where they were. They saw Jesus and part of their mind says, that's Jesus. And there's another part that goes, oh, you're just, that's just wishful thinking. And so you're in this place where you're like, I'm not really sure which one it is. So what does Jesus do in a case like this? Look at verse 18. It says, Jesus came and spoke. Or spoke to them. The term for come forward was prosterkamai. Pros means towards, like prosthetic. Prosterkamai means he literally came and approached them, which tells us that they saw him from afar. They're on the mountain, they see Jesus in the distance, and someone's like, that's Jesus. And someone else is like, I'm not really sure. I mean, looks like a Jewish guy, I get you that much. But Jewish guys, you know, with that beard, and after a while, from a distance, that's just a lot of hair in a white robe. I'm not really sure. And no, 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 it is. But Jesus comes up and as he begins to speak, What's clear is, it really is Him. And I love this, because when Jesus wants to reveal Himself to you, He's not going to leave you guessing. If you really think, God, I just need you to speak to me, and then you kind of think, maybe that was the Lord, maybe that wasn't, well, ask Him to confirm it, because He knows how to do that. God's the burden of communication is on Him. And He came and He spoke to them, and He says this. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. The first thing that he says to us, by the way, is that he has all, and here's our next word, if you will, exousia. Try that word, exousia. Exousia. Ex, like, ex means, like, exterior, or ectomorph means outside. Exousia, or usai, means to be. So literally means, if you will, to be out, if you will, sort of standing out ahead from your crowd. In the simplest sense, what it means is that you have the liberty to do as you please. The permission to do whatever. You have, we might say you have carte blanche. You have the white card. 
The idea that you can do as you please. And I love the fact that he tells us, in the simplest sense, let's put it in a sort of our vernacular. Vernacular, it'll say, Jesus would say, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, wherever I want, however I want. I have the freedom to do whatever I want, and therefore, now, if you had the freedom to do whatever you wanted, wherever you wanted, however you wanted, whenever you wanted, what would you do? Because Jesus says, I have absolutely all of that authority and freedom. So you know what I'm going to do with it? I'm going to share it with you. Could you imagine? Some people, all they want is freedom to be able to kill themselves, in essence. But Jesus, because he has the authority to do whatever he wants, however he wants, wherever he wants, whenever he wants, he actually says, well, therefore. And then I read this verse, and I'll be honest. These verses have been hammered in me for so long. I've, I just naturally took them. Remember, here I am telling you guys, don't just believe, just take the word and study the word. And, and, and so I'm like, yeah, well, because the term is, it says go therefore and make disciples. And of course, I, I don't know if you know, but I like to walk a lot. I like to walk and pray. And I like to, in essence, it's like I take my prayer, my, my, my scriptures for walks. Because I'm like, what does it really mean to go therefore and make disciples? How do you make a disciple? So what I did is I sort of started going and taking a look into the Greek. And forgive me for being, if you will, a little technical, but it blew up because of this. I mean, for every Greek verb, there's a tense and a voice and a mood. I mean, all that, in the simplest sense, what that means is, first of all, how am I looking at it? Am I looking at it as something done or needs to be done? Am I looking at it as sort of a snapshot or a video? That's the first point. The second part, by the way, is whether it happens to me or whether I make the choice to make it happen. That's really important. The third, by the way, is the mood. In other words, how, well, well, when does it end? Or, you know, sort of what time position or time stamp do I put it in? Now, the reason I say that is, is that I looked at this text and it's so open that I had to go to the next text in Mark. Because in both cases, in this one here in 28.19, Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And he says, baptizing them, of course, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you. But then I look at the Mark 16 text, and that's Mark 16, 15, and Jesus says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creatures, or to every creature. So in both cases, I get this, go. Go and do this, go and do that. And then I look at the church, and I realize, it's the church going and doing it. It's the church going and doing it. And the focus for us often is, how do we go? I mean, how do I go and preach? How do I go and disciple? And then I look at this text, and i got to, got to tell you, hear me on this, and don't just believe me. Search it on your own. And I'll even give you a valuable tool, Strong's Concordance. You can actually download it as an app if you have a smartphone. And there's a thing called Blue Letter Bible, where it'll even parse the verb, which means it tells you all of this stuff. And just so you can check up on me, so you know I'm not making this up. And the reason is, the term go in both cases is the word poriyuho. Try that word, poriyuho. Poriyuho, by the way, means to transition, to carry over. To begin a journey, or to cross over into that journey, if you will, you know, to kind of transition. Well, that still works. Transition and do this now. The problem is, the term is passive. That is its voice. Now, hear me. There is, in a simplest sense, and forgive me for the grammar, but it's so important, things are either active or passive. Well, this reflects this, for the most part. Active means you make the choice to make it happen. So let's just say, all of a sudden, I had this large, you know, swine. And just for fun, I decided to pick up this swine, and I decided to throw it at Shamar. Shamar, unaware of it, hears, and he turns around and gets hit in the face, and he gets porkified at that moment. You know? Now, because we're not Jewish or Muslim, it's not as big, it's not as huge of an insult as it could have been. Now, the point is, 
If I were to write sentences about it, I would say, for instance, Pastor Tony threw a pig. On the other side of it, Shamar got hit in the face with a pig. Now, for me to throw it, it was a conscious choice, if you will, so that was an active verb. I activated it. Him, on the other hand, to get hit in the face, all he had to do was nothing. It was passive. He was passive, and it hit him. Does that make sense? When Jesus, when, for instance, when it tells us, if we will believe, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. That's John, I'm sorry, that's Romans 10, 9, and 10. The terms are active. In other words, I actually have to make a conscious choice to confess him, and I have to actually make a conscious choice to believe. I have trust, where do I want to put that trust? And I choose to put that trust upon Jesus. That's what the terms, they're active terms. Does that make sense? So when Jesus tells us, go, and it's passive, what that tells us is Jesus is not commanding us to go. He's telling us we're going to go, whether we like it or not. It's going to happen to you. You're going to be transitioning. You're going to be journeying. You're going to be going. The mood on it, by the way, and again, forgive me for sort of developing this, but it's important to know, the mood can, one of the particular moods, for what it's worth, is indicative, or one of them, by the way, is particle. Particle just means ink. It had an ink to it, like throwing. And this is a participle. That is important, by the way. Because when we start to look at other terms, by the way, it, there will be a term, there will be a mood called imperative. And I'll try not to lose you, because this, I'm, almost, I'm just about done with that part. An imperative means it's a command. So when something, for what it's worth, is in the imperative mood, what that means is, it, God is commanding you to do it. But Jesus, when he says go, he doesn't use the imperative. He uses the participle, which means in. So if you will, as you're going. But then he says, as you're going, make disciples. And that is imperative. That's where the command happens. Now, make is actually not in the text. The term disciple, on the other hand, is. The word for what's with. Matetiucho. means to make, well, means to teach. It's the simplest thing. Like we get mathematics with. In the text in Mark, it's the same thing. Eris passed participle, go. As you go, same word for you go. As you go, as you're going, as you transition, as you travel, preach. And that same thing, Eris, active, imperative. Active again, you make the choice. So let me put it together so that we can kind of make, make sense of this for a moment. Jesus just sat down with his guys. At first he's from a distance, and I'm like, I think that's Jesus. And I was like, I'm not really sure that's Jesus. Kind of looks like him. I wish it was Jesus. And he comes up and goes, hey guys! And at this point we know it's him, and he goes, look it, I can do whatever I want. However I want. Whatever I want. Whatever I want. And, and this is what I choose to do. From this point on, as you're going, as you travel, and if I put the two together, as you travel, preach. Preach the gospel. Preach the gospel to anyone who's willing to listen. To every creature. Not like wood jugs and squirrels. But throughout all cultures, we tend to have people we think of as less than people. It was slaves. It could be today the Arab culture. Or the homosexual community. Or for some, it's the homeless. But there always seems to be a group of people in some cultures, praise God, never Christian, uh, in some cultures it's women. They're both half of that of a man or if any, if any. 
And what Jesus is saying is, look at as you go from this point in, you're going to go. You're going to journey, and this life is going to be a journey, but from this point in, I need you to make two choices. And those two choices are simple. I need you to preach. You need to make the choice to do that. And you need to make the choice to disciple, to teach them that. Well, what does it look like to disciple? Well, that will be the rest of our text here. But what if we really grab a hold of what Jesus tells us here? So let me ask you something. Those of you who may think of yourself as students of Scripture, can you think of anywhere in Scripture that the church, whether that be in Jesus' time, or whether that be in the book of Acts, the church at any given moment where they actually had an evangelism program, an outreach program, an outreach event. Now, I'm not saying they're bad. Hey, anything that gets the gospel, that I'm all for. Because what we're trying to do is figure out how to get Jesus to people. And you know why we put programs like that together? Because we failed on Jesus' command. Because Jesus' command says, think about how many of you are in this room that know Him. Hey, from this point on, as you walk, as you journey, as you proceed, preach. And as you preach, teach. Teach them to observe the things I've commanded you. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In other words, challenge them to go public and challenge them to become disciples themselves. That's the idea. And you're like, well, I'm not gifted at it. You don't have to be. Back in these days, I remind you, we're standing on a hill where all we had to do was bring them to Jesus and He could fix them, right? So it wasn't about me. It wasn't about how I brought the guy. It wasn't like, well, you know, imagine writing books like this is how you bring a demoniac. This is how you grab the chain, you know? And this is how you walk to make sure that... I mean, think about the things that we would write today in books. And those days, it wasn't about that. It was get them to Jesus. He could take care of them. He could fix them. And then if they need more, get them back to Jesus. And get them to live there. Get them to follow Him. And not just encounter Him, but get them to follow Him. Encourage them to follow Him. So what if we stop thinking, well, how do we go? Because this is what happens. We're like, well, this is how we need to get Jesus out to the masses. Well, what would happen if all of the people who are at church on a Sunday morning actually said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm actually going to pray for the power of God's Holy Spirit, because that's loose then, right? So that I can overcome my fear of sharing the truth. And as I pray, God, immerse me in that spirit and come upon me so that I can't help myself, then whoever you give me the privilege of being in my path, I'm going to go and share Jesus with them. I'm going to preach the gospel that he died for my sins and yours, that he was buried, just like Scripture promised, and on the third day, just as Scripture promised, he rose again and he's alive, he was seen by a lot of people, and he's alive in me, and he wants to forgive you and set you free. And really, the choice is yours. <coughs> So what he tells us is going is not a choice. Going is not an option. Going is what's going to happen. The choice is, are you going to preach? And are you going to teach? There are people in this room, we've had the privilege of watching that recently. Whether as they went, they shared. Because you know what? One of the reasons I believe we're as ineffective with often our gospel preaching. Well, first of all, because often what's called the gospel isn't the gospel. What I just gave you is a simple gospel. Check it yourself, 1 Corinthians 15. The other is we're approaching total strangers. And let's face it, if a total stranger approaches you in any place in public, aren't you sure they're going to try to sign you up, get your money for something? They're, they're going to get something from you. But your friend, when they call you, you tend to listen. 
No, I'm not telling you you can't go out and street evangelize. Be my guest to do whatever God's called you to. But listen, what Jesus tells us to do here is simple. As you journey now, preach and teach. Preach to the lost, teach to the saved. If you don't, do you know Jesus? No? Well, let me tell you that you can. Well, and if they're friends, they already know you, you're weird. You don't have to worry about freaking them out because they're already your friends. Or if they're your family, face it, you'll still have another reunion to bring it home if they freak out on you on this one. The bottom line is, is that if God puts them in your path, then just pray. Because all of a sudden, evangelism becomes organic. Well, what about the whole you know, uh, Pentecost thing where you know, 3,000 people give their life to Christ? Show me where the church planned that. They were praying. God came upon them. They started speaking. A crowd got gathered. And Peter's like, well, this is where I'm walking. This is my journey. You're in front of me. So I guess this is the moment for that. Peter was just available because that's what he did. Now, why if that was us? Could you imagine? You know why we don't? It isn't because we're, it's just because we feel ill-equipped. If we're going to be honest, it's just because there's too much of us in the equation and therefore we're afraid. But back on this hill, it wasn't about me. It was about Jesus. I was just a vehicle. I was just a bus you got on and I dropped you off at Jesus and that's all that really mattered. So look at as you go. As you journey, make the choice. As you go and you keep going, make the choice. Preach. Teach. Jesus says, I, I have all authority to do whatever I want. And I'm giving you the authority to do this. So when someone asks who gave you the authority to do this, you'd say the boss. Not my boss. Oh, the boss of bosses. The Lord of Lords. King of Kings. He's the one. And might I sit there and say the King of Queens, too. So we have our coach. So go and make this or go and teach all the nations. What does that look like? Well, one of the things it tells us here is baptize. Now understand, baptizing was not baptizing someone into a church. You'll have a hard time finding that in the scripture. Because what baptism was, in a simple sense, was a coming out party. Jesus took the old you and buried him. The moment you said yes, the moment you consciously made the choice to say yes to his gift, he took who you were and he buried the old you and he raised up a brand new you under his lordship. And how do you explain that to someone? Well, simple. You show them it's physical. This is one of the reasons we baptize, because Jesus told us to. Now, he doesn't say make it a church event. He says you just do it. When Philip did it with the Ethiopian unit, he didn't say, let me check with the church first. He did it because the guy said, well, this is, there's water, let's just go baptized. It's like, perfect. But, since we are doing it, if you've never been baptized since coming to know the Lord, it's right here. I suggest you do. Baptize them. Immerse them. President, parts of the way. President, you do it now. Active, you make the choice. Let's simply keep doing it. Not to the same person. You know, just keep making it look like it's a washing machine. Don't stop. 
in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them, didas, impart instruction, to observe all the things of community. The word observe, for what it's worth, the word terecho, try that word, terecho. Terecho, by the way, means to guard, to protect from invasion or pollution. In the simplest sense, protect. What we teach people to do is to take what Jesus has said and protect it. Protect it from adding philosophies, adding nonsense, but instead, let it be as pure as it is. And he ends with a promise. Lo, you do, check this out. Yo, come with you always. The fact that he's with us always, even to the end of the age, tells us that the command he's doing will never do alone. No matter where you go, no matter how you travel, you'll never do it alone. You'll always be with us. No matter whether it seems like it's the valley of the shadow of death, even David said, I won't see you there. You're with me. David would say, even if I try to make my bed in hell, I'm like I'm going to escape you there, even there you go. Because there's just nowhere I can sleep. But David didn't say it like it was a horror film. David said it with great joy. David's like, no matter how stupid I've been, and for David, he's had some stupid moments. I've never left him in the car. Of course, David would say it differently from that. Never left him in the But no matter how goofy I got, he never said, I'm done. We're done with this yet. That's it. You're on your own. My king here is commissioning me. And he's commissioning me. He didn't just say this, by the way. And say, no. This is specifically for you 12 or 11, if you will. Because the Bible made clear all the way back in Genesis 1 that people have a tendency or things have a tendency to replicate their own kind. In Matthew 10, 25, he says a student will be like his teacher. So what happens is that Peter would go out and he preached the gospel and 3,000 people got saved. Then they would move in and they'd have this commune and other people would rise up and teach. And then there would be, and God's like, I want you going out still. You stopped going. Everyone got comfortable. But don't worry. You know what, how you want to see God's uh, outreach program? He brought in a guy to persecute the heck out of them and they fled for their lives. How's that for an outreach program? But it doesn't say that they fled and freaked out. It said they fled preaching the gospel everywhere they went. In other words, it's like, well, imagine trying to be cool about it. Well, apparently God doesn't want us here anymore. I think it's time for us to leave. And we're going to take our ministry elsewhere. It was never well. We should stop doing it. So they left and they preached the gospel wherever they went. And as they preached the gospel, people started getting saved up and down. And then there was this huge revival in Samaria. Ultimately went 200 miles north in Syria, Antioch. A bit of a hotbed today. And uh, ultimately, there was a guy, the persecutor gets saved. We know Saul. That's his name initially. He tries out this new Jesus thing with old methodologies, arguing and debating, not exactly what God had said, told, told him to do. Uh, and, and in all of that, they ultimately ship him back where he was born, his homeland, Cilicia, which is southeast Turkey. But as the church starts to explode 200 miles north, a guy heads up there to validate it. He notices how good it is. He goes, but you guys don't have anyone to teach you. You're clearly getting saved. Somebody's clearly preaching the gospel, but no one's teaching. So let's go find a teacher. And he went and he got Paul. Saul, who would get the name changed. Now here's the point. 
is that the whole book of Acts is about people just doing these two things. Receiving the power of the Holy Spirit and going and wherever they went, they preached. And wherever they went, they taught. Now some of you, you'll be quicker to preach. Some of you will be quicker to teach. But in either case, it still happened. And this is what I want to pray for us as we prepare now for the table of the Lord. In this time now, if you've accepted, and let me start with this, have you even sure you should, if you've accepted this gift of Jesus Christ? I'm not saying have you acknowledged it, have you made the conscious choice to say yes to the gift of Jesus? To confess with your mouth that Jesus really is your Lord, and truly choose to trust that he was raised from the dead, that he died for your sins, and raised again. If you make that choice, it doesn't say you might be, it says you, are, you will be saved. That's Romans 10, 9 and 10. If you have said yes, well then why don't we do what Jesus told us? And you're like, well, this freaks me out. Well, here's the good part. Don't worry about the going. The going is going to happen. Pray to be ready. Now, how do we do that? That was what Jesus taught us in Luke. When he said, hey, this is what we do. We wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus taught us that now we don't have to wait for anything. We get on our knees and we say, Lord, I need the power of your Holy Spirit to overtake me because I'm a sissy. And now I'm just afraid to share my faith. I'd rather beat someone up than share the truth with them. And so here it is, Lord. I need your Holy Spirit to overtake me because I need to be ready that wherever I go today, I want you to use me to preach and to teach. So use me. You're like, well, I don't know everything. Well, you don't have to know everything. But if you're learning, then you can teach. All you have to do is share what you've been learning. But the cool part about it is, that's how this whole thing started for us in the first place. When I just started reading the Bible, and I started sharing with everyone what I was learning. I didn't think I was being a teacher. I was just a spaz. had a lot of energy and was excited about the Word and couldn't wait to tell people. Not the first church, if you will, the first thing, the first Bible study we ever had was so accidental. Now hear me, as we go to prayer now, I'm going to give you the choice to say yes to Jesus. But if you have said yes to Jesus, I'd like to give you the challenge with me, because I'm asking too, for God to give us the power that he promised in Acts 1, which literally, by the way, dunamis, which means the ability to overcome resistance. Think about where the greatest resistance is for you. For me, it's, it's me. In other words, Jesus says, I'll give you the power to get over you. So you can do what I call you to. Which is, as you go, preach and teach. Baptize people. Challenge them to guard what I've commanded you. Because you'll never have to worry about being alone. And if I'm with you, no matter where you go, you can do this. You pray with me. God, I want to thank you for this beautiful word. I want to thank you for going before us even right now and speaking to us. And I pray in this room, Lord, as we prepare for communion in the last minutes and such. First, Lord, the call goes out, and if there be anyone of this voice that has not accepted the gift of Jesus or isn't absolutely sure that they have, the challenge is now. To make that choice and say yes. I'm going to pray a prayer I ask you to listen and at the end, if you agree, I ask for a confident and resounding amen in what you're saying is, I agree. Let those words be mine now. So be it in my life. And here is the prayer. God in heaven, I'm a sinner like men are sinners. I'm a sinner. And my sin makes me guilty before you. But I believe that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. 
so that all my sin could be punished and Jesus died for my sins on the cross just like your scripture promised and that he was buried and just like scripture promised on the third day he rose again and is living and offers me forgiveness, absolution of my sins adoption, freedom and to become a new creation to bury the old me and raise me up a new thing a new creation and if that's your offer I say yes declaring Jesus as my Savior, my Ransom, and as my Lord. I hand my life to you and ask now, make me something amazing. I throw my life in your hands, shape it into that which brings you the greatest pleasure. In Jesus' name, if you agree with that prayer, I ask you to say Amen. You hear us, Lord. You hear these amens. Lord, I pray for every person who has said yes to you. But here in this room right now, we confess to you that our hearts need to be more broken for the lost and more soft to the saved. So Lord, please, pour forth your Holy Spirit upon us in such a way that we would get over ourselves get back to that mountain where it's just us and you or we believe that if we just brought them to you you could fix them so Lord we pray for you pouring your Holy Spirit upon us first and foremost so that we can preach to the lost and teach the saved lead us to lead others now we pray in Jesus name Amen Thank you.